You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. everyone and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 47, Victory of the Daleks Story Review. I am as always your host, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. I am your soldier. Fetch me a cup of tea. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? <laughs> Pretty good. Oh, I have to say right off the jump, did you realize the parallel between this and the Power of the Daleks? Which one was Power of... Was that... Uh... I am your servant. Yes. <laughs> yes. I noticed that right off the jump. Oh, my um... gosh. I, I get the titles <laughs> of uh, Patrick Troughton's Dalek episodes flipped all the time in my head. So I always forget which one, Power of the Daleks and Evil of the Daleks. Or Evil is the better one. Power of the Daleks is his first one. I'll remember uh, that. Well, was, Power of the Daleks was still good. Oh, it's still good, but Evil of the Daleks is <laughs> one of the best. Too bad it doesn't exist in any viewable format. They should make animations of those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, legit animations of those. I I agree. <laughs> All right, well, uh, before we, we jump into... This episode's Dalek story, um, Paul, there was a little bit of, of, um, of a hubbub the last week or so uh, involving Stephen Moffat and Peter Capaldi as the, the 12th Doctor. What, what's, what's going on with that? Well, apparently, um, the news article, there's been a couple that I've seen. They, they quote uh, Stephen as saying that uh, he has absolutely no reason to think that he will uh, send the Doctor off uh, when he leaves the show. In mm-hmm. uh, basically what it says is that he will not be writing out Peter Capaldi's Doctor when he leaves the show. He's going to leave that open-ended. Right. And, folks, uh, while I am totally all in favor 
of this meaning Peter Capaldi will be in series 11 uh, in 2034, whenever that airs. God, that's when it feels like it's going to air, is 2034. Um, <laughs> while I'm all in favor of that, we can't take this as a confirmation that that's actually going to be the case. It just means Stephen Moffat's not writing him out at the end of series 10. There's still the Christmas special 2018 where Chibnall could, you know, kick things off with a regeneration, uh, you know, or he could have an additional special before his first season. You know, we, we don't know if he, what plans Chibnall has where he could write the Doctor out or he could start off the series with a regeneration. Who knows? I, I'm just saying, while things are looking good for Peter Capaldi to stay on through series 11, we can't give anything Stephen Moffat says, you know, as confirmation of that being happening. I would be perfectly fine with Peter Capaldi staying. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm, the... I'm just trying to... This is more about me not getting my hopes up um, and having them crushed uh, than anything else. <laughs> the article was kind of set up, in my opinion, to be a little bit like clickbait because the, the heading specifically said that Stephen Moffat confirms that Peter Capaldi will continue on as the Doctor after the tenth season, and then you go back and you read it, and it's like that's not exactly what it says. Right, you know? right. That's it, not exactly what Stephen Moffat was saying. Know, now, basically, he, what he said was he said Peter loves playing the role. Peter wants to continue to play the role, and as far as I'm concerned, Peter can continue to play the role as long as he wants to. Yep. And that's perfectly wonderful, except what do you do when Peter doesn't get another contract to continue to play the role? Exactly. It might they, not only sign on, they only sign on a year at a time, so... And and I don't know why that's standard practice, but, I you know, it, it is, and... Uh, in case they so, have another better job <laughs> offer elsewhere, maybe um, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. I think. <laughs> um, but it seems like to me, if you're the headliner of the show, you, you know, unless something happens that is really unforeseen or something that really turns you off for it, you'd want to continue to do it for a little while anyway. Well, I mean, I think most people do, and so they'll just <laughs> you know sign on the dotted line for the next season uh-huh. when it, when they're done. But, you know, it's I think that's standard practice over here in the States, too, is you only sign on a season at a time. So I know it, I know it is for supporting cast. I'm not sure about, you know, the actual face of the show. But I know, it, I know it's that way for supporting cast. Yeah. Because... You'll have somebody that'll come on and they'll only be on for one season, and it's basically the the production company keeping their options open to determine where they want to take the story, you know, from season to season. And if that person is a big hit with the fans and stuff, then they're like, oh, okay, we can continue to use this character and everything. But if they're not, it gives them an out. Yeah. You know, it also gives the uh, actors an out if they decide that, you know, while the show may be successful, maybe there's something with it that they don't like how it's working and they want to leave, or they have a better right. uh, option, you know, to do something else somewhere else, and they can't do both, that sort of thing. So right. it covers everybody's butts, basically. But talking about possibility of Peter possibly leaving the show in the future, which I would like not to happen for at least a few years... Mm. 
you know, there's there's been talk about, uh, you know, what if Peter uh, decided to become the Tom Baker of the New Who series, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do that for like seven straight years. And I was like, I kind of think I might could get behind that, you know. <laughs> I would be okay with it. But I don't think in this day and age you will ever no. have that happen. You will never have a run like that again in this series. I I wouldn't see him staying for more than three or – I'm sorry, for more than maybe four or five tops, yeah. you know. I, I think uh, I think if he stays on for Series 11, that's his last series. That would be my guess, but – But it would, it would be nice to see – a little bit more longevity than what we've seen with some of the others in the past because something that isn't quite you know, so predictable you know it just it feels like sometimes that at least for me it feels like sometimes that there's more story to tell with the current incarnation of the doctor and it's like oh well it's been 3 seasons so we got to change him out now or right. you know that kind of thing and personally i like it when it feels natural you know, it feels like, okay, this is a natural progression to this point, and it feels like now this is when it's supposed to happen in the overall flow of how everything fits together, as opposed to, well, it's been three seasons, now we have to change the Doctor kind of thing, you know? Right. And so that's the reason I've said in the past, it wouldn't bother me at some point to see a regeneration in the middle of a season. Right. Because there's no reason to have to have it at the the dividing point between the seasons, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because to me personally, I think it would feel more organic and it wouldn't feel like you're taking two seasons and chopping them in half and putting them together, you know, at disconjointed, you know, points or whatever necessarily if you had a regeneration in the middle of the season. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Well, we will cross that bridge whenever we get there. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and move into our Dalek episode review for this episode. Spoilers. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Victory of the Daleks, featuring Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor. It was uh, written by Mark Gatiss who I'm a fan of, um, and Andrew, and directed by Andrew Gunn, and was originally released April 17, 2010. Gosh, that's a long time ago. It feels like it was less uh, of a time gap, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does. Anyway, for this episode, we have a new Doctor and a new companion, so we'll touch on that briefly. Uh, new Doctor, Matt Smith, uh, what do you think of him? You know, I, I know we've sort of talked about this a little bit. I but. I really like Matt Smith as the Doctor, uh, but now I'm going to be perfectly honest about it. I liked the way he grew into the role much more than I liked the way that he started out in the role, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I and I'm not saying that because I don't think he did a good job. I do think he did a good job, but it was just, even over a period of three years, you could see how much maturity the character had 
uh, accumulated and how much that character had grown through his portrayal of that character, through his comfort of how he played the character and everything. And so, you know, because I think he was the the youngest person to ever take on the role when he started, I think that that youthfulness could sometimes be a little bit, I don't want to say... A, a bit of a put off, but I think it could be a little bit of a of a, I guess, a contrast compared to everything you'd had before, because like we said before, even with Peter Davison, he was at that point the youngest person to ever play the part, but he played it like an older person, mm-hmm. you know. And with Matt Smith, it's like he came into the role just kind of oozing this youth. You know, this youthfulness. And that was something we didn't really see a lot of with the Doctor previously. Mm-hmm. Even with David Tennant. David Tennant is is wild and crazy and, 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 you know, everything as he could be. He didn't exude that youthfulness that Matt Smith did when he first came into the role. You know, uh, and, and I think that you see that a lot, especially when he first meets Amy. You know, because of the way that he just kind of feels like he just kind of somehow meshes on the same level with Amy as a 10-year-old girl. That is definitely a difference, and I, and I I do tend to agree that I think I like Matt Smith more towards the end of his run than the beginning of his run. I definitely like his uh, purple costume more than I like his... Oh, most definitely. More like, like this costume. But that being said, this is still early on in Matt Smith's run and Amy Pond's run, you know. Uh, it's only the third episode in, and I, I like Matt Smith. He's not my favorite. He's all jumbled up in the middle there somewhere. <laughs> I, well, don't ask me where he is in the list, because um, I, I couldn't tell you yet. Another thing that I found out about uh, more recently is the fact that a lot of his episodes, of course, and, and this is standard practice in a lot of shows, uh, so I, I know it's not just like, crazy thing but a lot of his episodes were filmed out of order so there's there are episodes that fall more at the beginning of his uh, first uh, series where he's been playing the role for several episodes and then there's other roles that happen a little bit further along like the fourth or fifth one that they broadcast that were actually like his first time to ever play the role so you get a little bit of not really a disjointedness in the character, but a little bit of, I guess, unpredictability mm-hmm. in his performance because, you know, it's like we know we know what order these stories are going to fall in, but we're going to record them in a different order. And so when he's playing the role, it's like you get one episode that's toward the beginning where he feels a little more seasoned in, in playing the part, and then you get another episode a little bit further along where he feels a little less seasoned in playing the part, and it, it just kind of feels a little bit more unpredictable. Right. The actor's still growing into the role, filling out the shoes, and sometimes the recording order and the production order don't always line up, and it makes it a little jumbled at time, from time to time. That being said, we have a new companion as well. Um, we've done an entire episode devoted to this companion. Um, yeah. So go back and check that out if you want <laughs> more in-depth thoughts on Amy Pond. But just real briefly, initial thoughts about Amy. She's spicy. 
she's spicy like Donna, but not in the same way that Donna's spicy. She she has her own version of spiciness, you know. It's a word I don't generally use to describe people. Um, yeah, she's definitely got a lot of personality. Um, I like Don, uh, Donna. I do like Donna. I like Donna a lot. I'm still thinking about our last episode. I am. I am. Gosh. <laughs> I still think that's the most horrible way to send a companion out. It's just, uh, oh, it, it breaks my heart every time. Anyway, um, I do like Amy Pond. Uh, she's one that personally I feel is slightly overrated because I feel like I'm a little bit on the outside of this. Everybody goes, oh, I love Amy Pond. She's so great. She's so wonderful and all this stuff. Everybody I know, uh, you know, Kyle Avery, who's been on our show uh, before, <laughs> she is his favorite companion uh, ever. <laughs> and I'm just like... She's good. Well, it's, it's not that I dislike Amy. I I actually like Rory better than Amy. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 I know that some people wouldn't agree with that, but I mean, I I like Amy just fine. I think she's a great character. I just somehow or another connected more with Rory, you know, and I think the two of them together are much better than than they are separated. Okay. No, I think that the the combination of the two of them together it takes both of their characters to a whole nother level that you didn't have when you had them as separate characters. Gotcha. And Rory, not in this episode. Uh, no. This is when Amy is still trying to make up her mind if she still wants to stay with Rory or not. Yeah. Yeah. So. That whole aspect of the writing, not my favorite of her characters. Maybe it's because I just don't want my future significant other to run off with another man at the last minute. Um, <laughs> well, for me, it was more of uh, an aspect of, okay, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, he knows she's the one. Mm -hmm. And she keeps flip-flopping and flip-flopping and flip-flopping. And the whole time, everybody's looking at him like he's some little lost puppy that's following her around like, you know, that he can't... Uh, function without her but the truth of the matter is he's just made up his mind she is the one and when a man has made up his mind she is the one it's very difficult for him to shift that mindset and say well okay i think i'll go after somebody else uh and 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 i i just like that resolve that he has you know she is the one and i know she's the one and i'm going to prove to her that she's the one you know. Well, thankfully, we have none of that relationship <laughs> drama in this episode, because I don't feel like talking about it today. Um, <laughs> well, that's far enough with it, you know. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> let's go ahead and start getting into this episode. We kick things off. Uh, it, we're in London, in the Cabinet War Rooms, during World War II and the Blitz. Um, huh, all sorts of fun with that. Uh, there is a, you know, German planes are coming in. Uh, they've been spotted. Winston Churchill is, of course, at the helm of the, the British forces here. He is in command. Uh, I do have to say, I, I do like this actor's portrayal of Winston Churchill in this episode. Uh, <laughs> I'm not overly familiar with uh, Winston Churchill, as I'm sure people in England are very, very familiar with, but being in, you know, America, 
not quite as yeah. familiar, but I do really like this portrait. I, I know that he's. A, I know that he was very sharp. He was very witty. One of the the most memorable things for me that I remember coming from him is uh, there was a particular lady who, for whatever reason, just couldn't stand the sight of him. She just he got on her nerves to the point to where she just couldn't bear it anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And she told him, she said, sir, uh, "Sir, if you were my husband, I'd give you poison." And he said, ma'am, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And that's the portrayal that we sort of saw in this episode, I think. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, the cabinet war rooms are bracing for this attack, and Winston Churchill tells them to roll out the secret weapon. And, of course, we, we jump... To a quick shot of the map where they're, you know, moving things around with sticks on the map, like you see in all the old war movies. Uh, and they push this little icon up onto the map to roll it into position, and it is a Dalek. And you go, what? <laughs> the TARDIS then materializes in a closet, basically, in the war rooms. Uh, Winston Churchill had called the doctor for help a month ago. And he goes, oh, well, you know, Type 40 TARDIS, just reconfigured it, it's still, you know, working out all the kinks, that sort of thing. And (laughs) and you go, no, Doctor, you just miss again. Winston Churchill decides that now that the Doctor is here, he's going to show off his new secret weapon and how he's going to ensure not only Britain's security, uh, but then win the war by pushing Hitler back. And... We see the German planes flying over the channel, heading into London, and all of a sudden, Churchill and Professor Edwin Bracewell, uh, who's the head of the Ironside Project, give the command to fire from behind this barricade. We hear these very distinctive high-energy weapon shots, three shots to be precise initially, and each of them hits a plane, causing it to explode. The shots are very distinctively sounding and look very distinctive as well. And they're green. Yeah, (laughs) bluish green. And the doctor goes, I know that. They can't be. And it is. Uh, As the planes retreat, the Ironside is commanded to, you know, come forward. And from behind the barricade slides a Dalek. And it's green. It's green. <laughs> it's painted camo. It's got little caps over the light uh, things yeah. on its side. It's got the the Union flag emblazoned <laughs> right underneath the eye stalk. Was I the only one that thought that looked like a bow tie? <laughs> <laughs> oh my I, I kept looking at it and I kept thinking... Why did they put it there? Because if you put it there, it looks like a bow tie. You know? <laughs> Maybe someone thought that would be funny. Um, <laughs> bow ties are cool. <laughs> even on a Dalek. The Doctor, of course, immediately begins to implore Winston Churchill to get rid of them. Get rid of the Daleks. They're Daleks. They're not Ironside. They're evil. They're my de- most deadly enemy in the 
Winston Churchill doesn't believe him. He's like, no, no, Bracewell invented these. Here, he's got the blueprints and the test results and photos to prove it. And he hands them over to the doctor, and the doctor's like, this doesn't make sense. Just get rid of them. Eliminate them. And Churchill is starting to dream about what he can do with an entire army of these things. And he's like, just think of what I could do. And the doctor goes, that's what I am doing, and that's why you have to get rid of them. (laughs) Yeah, when he says, just think of what we could do, that almost sounds like something that Davros would say. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. Um, And Amy starts to say something about, maybe you should listen to him, and the doctor gives her the shush symbol with his hand, like, shut it. You know, Don't and you the look... even dare bring that idea up. The look on her face is like, oh crap! Right. <laughs> uh, of course, the doctor is has all these very strong emotions about the Daleks, and he looks to Amy to give him some backup because Daleks invaded Earth and moved Earth, and there were planets in the sky, and she should know about that. And Amy just looks at him in confusion, like. What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. She missed it or something. And the doctor's like, that's not possible. We'll deal with that later. (laughs) (laughs) So he doesn't get any support from Amy. And the Daleks are milling about, asking if they can be... I don't know if you can hear it. It's a thunderstorm here, so it's probably going to pick up on Mike, but I can't do anything about it. Yeah, well, you know. Sorry. That's fine. Thunderstorm, <laughs> thunderstorm, schmunderstorm, who cares? Hey, maybe it will sound like the London Blitz. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I, I could start getting a thunderstorm here, too. So, you know, we could... Hey, stereo! Stereo <laughs> thunderstorms. And it's... That, folks, that's, that's crazy, because, you know, there's at least three states between the two of us. And, um, yeah, we're each... Dealing with thunderstorms, or almost thunderstorms. And the Daleks are milling about, asking if they can be of assistance. You see one carrying some sort of, like, plans or something down a hall. Uh, and when the Doctor tries to really get in their face, they just say, I am your soldier. You know, not, I'm a Dalek, basically. And they also walk around constantly saying... Would you like some tea? Yeah. Would, Would you, you like care? some tea? Would you care for some tea? You know? <laughs> and it's the most bizarre thing you've ever seen a Dalek yeah. do in your life. Other than become a human Dalek hybrid. Um, <laughs> you still haven't let that go. <laughs> no. No, I haven't. Uh, and it gets to the point where... Churchill is sort of understanding where the Doctor is coming from with the Daleks and sort of kind of getting to the point where he might believe what the Doctor is saying about these Daleks. But he's like, look, these machines are our salvation. If Hitler invaded hell, I would give a favorable reference to the devil. (laughs) That was such a good line. (laughs) It It was. And I was like, that is... A very interesting thing to say, and I'm not entirely <laughs> certain I would disagree with his sentiment, anyways. Um, that's, that's, <laughs> implying, that's implying that Hitler is worse than Satan. Right. 
which is, while I'm not sure technically possible, um, <laughs> we get the idea. I know, uh, I know how South Park feels about that, but we won't get into that. <laughs> I don't, because I don't watch South Park, and I don't care to. Um, I, I don't anymore. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, the Doctor finally decides to go to the source, or the supposed source of these iron sides, that being Professor Edwin Bracewell, to get some answers. And he asks him how he got the idea for the iron sides. And he goes, well, it just sort of came to me one day in the bath, or something like that. He just gets these ideas for the iron sides and for other projects that he's been working on, like gravity bubbles and um, that sort of thing, and other technology he's developed. They just sort of come to him. And the doctor goes, it's like, that's a little too convenient. <laughs> the, the doctor's looking at those sheets of paper that he shows him, and he's like, did these ideas come from you, or did they come from them? And he's like, they came from me. You know? right. <laughs> he's looking at them, and he's looking at it, and he realizes this technology is far more advanced than anybody should be coming up with on Earth at this moment. You know, Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That being said, the Doctor finally loses it. When a Dalek comes in bringing a cup of tea for Bracewell, <laughs> he knocks the tray off the Dalek's plunger, starts yelling in its eye stock, and then takes a giant wrench and starts beating the Dalek with it, trying to get the response that he is looking for to prove to everybody that he's right. And... At the end of it, he says, you know, he goes on telling how they're the greatest enemy, how he's defeated them, how they're everything he despises. I am the Doctor, and you are the Daleks. And then he kicks the Dalek across the room, and when it recovers, it turns its eye stalk back towards everybody and says, You are correct! And you go, oh. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. We were hoping they were going to stay relatively benign. Well, see, this is another thing that made me think of the power of the Daleks is because this was exactly parallel with what happened in that story of them covering until it was, you know, convenient for them to not have to cover anymore. Right. You know, yeah. and so this time it just happened a lot faster in the story than it did in the other one. Right. Right. And if you guys are going, what, what are you talking about? Go listen to our episode of Power of the Daleks. We we found some very horrible reconstructions online um, <laughs> and sort of gave our thoughts on it uh, as we pieced it together. Po poorly reconstructed with a really good story, though. Yes. Also, oh, Patrick Troughton's very first episode ever. So Now, the Daleks seem very satisfied because the Doctor has given them his testimony. You're like, testimony? What? What is this? What is this all about? And before they teleport themselves up to the Dalek mothership that's hiding behind the moon, uh, because they've got what they came for, that being the Doctor's testimony, they shoot two guards and reveal that Bracewell is uh, their creation. They are not his. They shoot off his hand, reveal he's a, revealing that he is an android. <laughs> Which, not not the android. Right, right. Just <laughs> an android. Uh, there's only one N in there. Nobody's more surprised that Bracewell is an android than Bracewell. 
he looks at, at his <laughs> sparking stump in complete and total shock. I, I expected to hear the Scooby Doo. <gasps> you know. <laughs> The doctor watches the Daleks, uh, teleport away, and races off after them in the TARDIS, ordering Amy to stay put. <laughs> and she's like, oh, so you want me to stay here where it's safe, in the London Blitz? <laughs> he basically goes, yes. <laughs> Traveling with me is dangerous. And this yeah. is still, you know, early on in their travels where, you know, it's not just fun and games and adventures on, right. you know, a, you know, space city in space. And he's not traveled with her long enough to really know what she can and cannot handle at this point. Right. And so he doesn't want her getting in the way of his interrogation of the Daleks, basically. And he goes up there and in order to have some leverage, threatens to blow up the TARDIS uh, in order to not get shot on sight. Of course, he's got this button that looks very much like a jammy dodger. Um, yeah, <laughs> could that be the? Could that be because that's what it is? <laughs> no, not yet. Anyway, this was a direct callback to something else. What was this a direct callback to? <laughs> oh, this is a direct callback to, and I'm forgetting. I'm blanking on the episode's name. It's like the the face of evil. I think is the name of the uh, the storyline with the fourth Doctor uh, mm -hmm. and Leela's first appearance on the show. And the Doctor is on his own at the time and gets captured by Leela's tribe. And he's trying to you know talk his way out of the situation. And he <laughs> pulls a jelly baby out of his pocket and holds it under one of the guy's nose and noses and says. All right, step back, or I'll kill him with this deadly jelly baby. <laughs> and when the tribesmen remain unimpressed, then do it. He goes, I don't take orders from you, and eats the jelly baby. <laughs> and it's so great because he's so dead serious about what he's going to do. I drop your weapons, or I'll kill him with this deadly jelly, baby. You <laughs> see, to me, to me, these kinds of moments are the ones that really show homage to the classic series. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and it's nice to see the Doctor revisit some old tricks. Uh, <laughs> hey, this worked before. Uh, do I have some food? <laughs> hey, a jammy dodger. Uh, that'll work. For those of you going, what's a jammy dodger? It's a cookie that goes with tea and biscuits. <laughs> what you like some tea? <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, thank you. Do you have any jammy dodgers? <laughs> you know, you would think as much tea as they had probably served <laughs> over the last three months or something that they would have probably recognized that that, that was a cookie. You well, know? well, I mean, it, they're in the London Blitz, and there's not a lot of sweets around, you know. They're, they're rationing food, so maybe not. Um, so you think that came straight from the TARDIS? Yes. The Doctor has an entire storeroom of Jelly Babies, Jammy Dodgers, and the like. It's only eats, you know. Uh, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> That's why he never sleeps. Um, 
Anyway, <laughs> let's let's get over the Jammy Dodger and continue on in the plot. Um, <laughs> but it's so fun. <laughs> turns out these Daleks needed the Doctor's testimony in order to activate the progenitor. According Can I get a witness? <laughs> <laughs> essentially. Essentially. Um, this ship is very damaged. This mothership is very damaged. It's the only ship that escaped the destruction uh, of the Daleks back in our last episode. In our episode. last episode, yeah. Uh, and they are the only Daleks that escaped in that ship. Now, they found the progenitor device, which is the only one left in the known existence uh, that contains pure Dalek DNA. And they are going to use that progenitor device to create a new paradigm of Daleks, as they call it. And the doctor goes, okay, so if you had all of these things, why did you need to make Bracewell in order to have this work? And they go, it was necessary. You know, you can almost see their eyes shifting back and forth like, we (laughs) don't want to admit our failings here um <laughs> turns we out we are embarrassed <laughs> right <laughs> you almost you almost expect them to say something like they said before in some of the past episodes of, that is not important that, <laughs> <laughs> you know? that is not important move along <laughs> you don't need an answer to that question move along <laughs> Move along. <laughs> Is my obscure Star Wars reference for this episode? It it uh, it always strikes me as funny when the race that thinks that they are the most superior in the universe mm-hmm. ends up feeling inferior to someone else. Yes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, turns out that. Since these Daleks were created from cells from Davros, uh, the progenitor does not recognize them as pure Daleks and thus needs outside confirmation that they are Daleks in order to actually activate, because it does not want to activate in a hostile environment. Which is really kind of strange, though, if you think about it, because of the fact that Davros has the same genetic structure as the people that they were originally created from to an extent i suppose you know unless he they you know took one of the the genetic initial genetic templates that they had and decided that was the template to follow and anything that deviated from that isn't correct Um, right so they needed this testimony from the doctor saying i am the doctor and you are the daleks in order for the progenitor device to actually recognize the surviving Daleks, and actually activate. Uh, now, of course, that has been all loaded, and the progenitor device is humming away and getting ready to create the new Dalek paradigm. The Daleks then, in order to protect the progenitor device, tell the Doctor to leave, or they'll destroy London. And the Doctor goes, you can't do that with this ship. And they go, no. But we can turn on all the lights in London as the Blitz is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, oh, crap. 
<laughs> as you see London just light up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. There's a dish on the bottom of their ship that they used to do that with. Mm-hmm. The German bombers are on their way. And so now Amy and Winston, uh, Churchill that is, have to figure out some way to get the lights off in order to keep London safe while the doctor is still trapped up there. And it gets to the point where Amy goes, we've got someone who can take, who can deal with this issue. And Churchill goes, who? Bracewell. (laughs) The Daleks left them a key to their own destruction. Essentially (laughs) the idea that Amy's got. Uh, Bracewell is to the point of contemplating suicide, basically. He's loading a gun, getting ready. And you wonder, if he's an android, is that actually going to work? Yeah, because is it going to ricochet off of the metal components on the inside, or, you know, is it going to actually damage anything through the shielding that he has under his skin, or what? I mean... Right. He's going to try it anyways. But Amy and... Churchill talk him into, you know, proving to himself and the Daleks that he's more than just an android, that he is a man. You know, Winston goes, you know, I don't care if you are a machine. The question is, are you a man? And they decide to, it's that it's time to think big and they are going to basically arm a couple of, are they Spitfire planes, I think, uh, with, Gravity bubbles and some advanced it's, weaponry. It's the ones with the shark faces painted on the front, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back on the ship, the doctor is uh, on edge because the progenitor device has dinged. Um, the Daleks have been cooked and they're ready to <laughs> come out of the oven. Ding! <laughs> Five genetically pure Daleks emerge from the progenitor device. Uh, all shiny and colorful. Uh, you know, there's a white one, a red one, an orange one, a yellow one, and a, and a blue one. Just pausing for a moment. Okay. What was your opinion on the new stylization of the Daleks that they had in this episode? They were different, and I don't think I really, when I first watched it, had an opinion. Because, you mm-hmm. know, as I've said before, first watching all of these episodes... Uh, I just sort of raced through them all, and I, you know, didn't really have time to digest and think about things until I was, you know, five episodes past it, <laughs> basically. But coming back around, now that I've spent more time with, you know, the classic series and getting to know the Daleks of old, and then spending more time with the, the newer incarnation of the Daleks that we've gotten prior to these, they're definitely interesting. Uh, but they reminded me a bit of... The Supreme Dalek, the Red Dalek mm-hmm. that we had seen previously to this. Right. And so I just figured these were the new Dalek leaders. Right. And they would create an army that was similar to the other Daleks that we had seen. Uh, but apparently these were originally supposed to be the new standard. Yes. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. That's the reason why I was asking is because uh, I think for me, I'm probably one of those rare people who saw them initially and went, oh, cool. You know, they look enough like the originals that they're not a major departure, but they're updated enough 
and new enough that they kind of update the, that particular villain for the, the future, you know. And I liked the fact that they were larger than the originals because it made them seem more imposing and more intimidating in size. And that was you know? and that was what made me think that they were the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. More than anything is the fact that they were these bright colors and they were taller. And and uh, apparently the white one was the one that was automatically in charge. Yes. Um, for me though, I was looking at it and I was I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised because uh, I kind of originally expected them to just look like the rest of them, you know, mm-hmm. when they came out. And so I, I actually liked the new style and everything. Uh, I mean, yeah, it would have taken a minute to get used to it, but, you know, anytime you introduce something new into the show, it's going to take a little bit of time to get used to it, including a new doctor, you know. So <clears throat> for me, that wasn't a major issue. However, the next thing I know, I'm hearing of online about how much hatred that the fan base is is giving these new Daleks and how much of an outcry there was of not wanting to accept this new style and this new look for the, the Daleks Even, you know, and the next thing you know and we'll get into the next story obviously on our next episode but the next thing you know Stephen Moffat has decided to pull them into the background so that mm-hmm. the next time you see them, they're not up front, you know, and, and, and first and foremost, you know, in the, the forefront, the next time you see them, they're actually hidden behind a lot of the standard size and standard look to the Daleks the next time you see them. And then after that, you never see them again. And, to me personally, I, I thought that that was a little bit of a shame because I thought that it could be something that could be really cool and interesting. But then, you know, we, we've not seen them at all since that second time, including the uh, Series 9 episodes that we've already discussed where they had pretty much all of the different incarnations of the Daleks there except for this one. Right. You know, and so it was kind of it was kind of blaringly obvious that they weren't there in series 9, mm-hmm. you know, because every other incarnation that we've ever had was there except for this one. Right. Uh but I personally thought they were kind of cool. I I I thought that even the fact that they were multicolored kind of gave them uh the opportunity to use that as kind of a I don't know, like a cast system or something, you know, like this particular cast of Dalek is this color and that other cast is that color, you know, and you could do it that way where you could kind of tell what rank they are by what color they are, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, I I just thought these were the new council, high council of Daleks or whatever, you know, and they were going to go from there, but I, I didn't have, and I still don't have, really much of an opinion on them one way or the other, other than they're another kind of Dalek, you know. They're not my favorite incarnation of the Daleks, but I didn't dislike them. They're just another kind of Dalek, and you know we've seen well, various types before. From um, a production standpoint, though, it would actually be 
easier for them to use them from a production standpoint because every single one of those Daleks that you see on screen has someone sitting inside of it. And so the mm-hmm. person the person on the inside of those larger sized Daleks would have a much easier time controlling that than they yeah. would inside the smaller size. Uh, these new Daleks, however, immediately identify the three uh, previous Daleks uh, as inferior and impure and exterminate them on the spot. And the other three Daleks say, yes, you are right, do it, basically. Um, <laughs> they, they almost act excited about it, you know? Right. <laughs> right. And you're like, that's weird. Um, and the doctor goes... Blimey, what do you do with the ones that mess up? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, this they, is not great. <laughs> right. The Daleks are then preparing to continue their extermination spree on the Doctor. Uh, of course, the Doctor brandishes his <laughs> jammy dodger to hold them off. Um, don't mess with me. <laughs> back on Earth, Bracewell uh, has finished his tinkering with the planes uh, and has some sort of scanner device that he's hooked up uh, in order to keep an eye on the Dalek transmissions and then follow along with their fighter planes. They basically have a bubble around them. Right. To, the, it's, it's like a the gravity bubble he was talking self-contained about. Self-contained atmosphere, you know. Yes, it was this gravity <laughs> bubble he was talking about. The the doctor threatens again to try and hold off the Daleks, threatens to get them to leave Earth or he'll blow up the TARDIS and them with him, and the Daleks, you know, perform a scan and says that's not anything. And he goes, oh, well. He eats the jammy dodger and he goes, oh, but I've been promised tea, so... <laughs> That's when the Dalek sensors go off, say, you know, that they've got incoming spacecraft, and the Doctor takes that moment to dash back into the TARDIS, just ahead of some uh, deadly laser blasts from the Daleks. We then get this neat little Death Star attack run by these planes uh, on the Dalek mothership as they try and take out this uh, sensor dish, uh, but it's being shielded. And uh, two of the three planes are taken out by the uh, anti-aircraft defense turrets, basically, on the uh, the Dalek ship. And we're down to Danny Boy trying to get this thing blowed up. Uh, the Doctor is able to disrupt the shields long enough for Danny Boy to blow up the sensor. And the Doctor then gives the order to Danny Boy to blow up the ship so that the Daleks can't escape from this. That's when the Daleks reveal their trump card. And it turns out Bracewell is not only an android, but he's been built around an Oblivion Continuum bomb that will destroy the entire Earth. Huh. And, <laughs> Doctor, you have to choose now. The Earth or us. Cake or death? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll choose cake. Okay, here's cake. <laughs> cake or death? Well, uh, I'll choose cake. Uh, oh, we're all out of cake. Well, I suppose I'll have to choose death then. <laughs> yeah. Is that a Monty Python thing? No, that is a no. um, that is an Eddie Izzard <laughs> skit. 
I don't know who Eddie Izzard is. Oh, you've got to listen to some of his stuff, dude. He is so funny. And a lot of his stuff is ad-lib, so... He does this this really hilarious thing of uh, Darth Vader at the mess hall in the Death Star. <laughs> You've got to hear it, dude. It's hilarious. <laughs> Maybe I'll check it out. But, you know, unfortunately for the Doctor, there's not much of a choice. He returns back to London and, for whatever reason, is so caught up in the heat of the moment that he cold clocks Bracewell, uh, which was not the smartest thing to do because he's an android and he, you know, nearly broke his hand in the process. And Bracewell's like, "What? what's going on? And the doctor says, yeah, you're a bomb um, and we have to deactivate it. <laughs> That's something else you're not used to seeing is the doctor just punching someone in the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out that the only way to stop the detonation sequence on this bomb, because the Daleks, of course, you know, still activate the bomb as they're getting ready to flee. You know, it's not like the Doctor can pick one and the Daleks go, okay, and not blow up the Earth. Um, they have to try and blow up the Earth anyways. Uh, and the only way that the Doctor sees to shut down this bomb is to basically convince and remind the Professor that he's human, not an android, not a bomb. And for whatever reason, and this kind of shows the alien nature of the Doctor a bit, he latches on to the pain of human experience as what is most human, which is odd uh, to me. And he, you know, asks for memories of, you know, childhood loss, in losing his parents, moving away hold on to the pain, they hurt. It comes off as <clears throat> this being the reason the, the doctor associates pain with being human is because he maybe he's experienced so much of it in his mm-hmm. own life, and so that's just kind of the first thing that he just jumps to, you know, is, well, this is the, the emotion that I associate uh, the most with, so I'm going to use that emotion to try to invoke the re- the correct response. Uh, right. The problem is, is it's not working. Mm-hmm. Not at all. I mean, Bracewell is definitely feeling the pain, but it's not enough. Yeah. And Amy has been watching all of this, and she decides to try a different tack. And she comes in, you know, the doctor is about ready to panic, basically. And she comes in real soft and quiet-like and says, Hey, Paisley boy, because, you know, he's Scottish and mm-hmm. uh, she's Scottish. Uh, so, so they had a connection there. Uh, she goes, Hey, Paisley boy. And he's, you know, Bracewell is kind of confused because he's re-experiencing all this pain from his implanted memories and, you know, she's coming in all, you know, nice and sweet-like and he's like, yes? Ever fancied someone you shouldn't? (laughs) He goes, and then he goes, well, it was her. And she goes, oh, there's a her. (laughs) And the doctor asks what her name was and it's Dorabella. And he starts recounting her beauty, how much he 
loved her from afar, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And that, faster than anything, shuts down the bomb. The bomb basically runs it, the countdown basically runs itself in backwards at super high speed and shuts itself off. It was basically stopped by love. Exactly. Love and beauty. The Daleks are still able to escape through a time corridor before the Doctor can get back to the TARDIS and stop them. You know, the bomb has been dis- you know disabled, but the Doctor is still so distraught, basically, over the Daleks' escape, and he says they've won. It's the victory of the Daleks. He essentially gives us the title of the episode. Mm-hmm. Bracewell confirms the Daleks have left because many of the ideas that the Daleks put in his head are have gone, and he can feel it. They've left. And Amy has to remind the Doctor, yeah, okay, the Daleks may be gone, but you did just save the world. Yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> the Doctor goes, fine. <laughs> Basically. Um, as the Doctor and Amy get ready to, to leave old Winston... The Doctor, of course, removes all alien technology from Winston's uh, <laughs> compound there, mm-hmm. much to Churchill's chagrin. And know. Churchill can't understand why he can't just allow him to, you know, go ahead and win the war because, you know, he doesn't understand that changing the, the history of everything is going to have you know, major repercussions on the future if he does that. Right. In the moment, you know, I don't think Churchill really cares. Yeah. Um, The doctor's basically like, you'll do fine, you know. Right. The doctor and Churchill exchange a hug of farewell, and as Churchill starts wandering off back to his office, Amy (laughs) goes, Oi, Winston. Stretches out her hand, and he looks at her completely innocently, like, what? And she goes, TARDIS key. The one that you just swiped from the doctor. Because, you know, Churchill has wanted the TARDIS from the doctor for a long time, and the doctor goes, no. And Churchill goes, oh, very well. Very good, Miss Pond, you know. She's almost as sharp-witted as me, you know. <laughs> he's a pickpocket. <laughs> he's he's a little bit of a little bit of a pickpocket there. <laughs> the doctor holds his hand out. <laughs> yep, from Amy, and she goes, "Ah, oh, fine." He gives him the key back. Um, they then go to say their farewell to Bracewell. Mm-hmm. But he automatically assumes that since he's alien technology, they can't have him walking around all over the place, that they've come to deactivate him. And they go, oh, yes, yes, we're we're going to do that. But we have something we have to do first. It'll take us 10, 15 minutes to do. So don't you go running off until we get back. And he goes, all right, well, I will wait here and prepare myself for that. And... Well, it's going to take 20 minutes. Yeah, 30, actually, you know, and I don't think about it. <laughs> he's like, oh, okay. And they basically have to spell it out Amy, to him say, hey. Amy looks at the doctor and goes, he's not as bright as we thought he was, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I 
is going to be an hour. So don't go running off to find that post office or Dorabella or anything like that until we get back and as they're winking like and mad. And finally, 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 the doctor looks at him and says, you can do a whole lot in that hour, can't you? <laughs> and Bracewell's light finally clicks on. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Doctor. And uh, packs his things to take off because, you know, you can't have Bracewell hanging around Winston Churchill at this point because who knows what Churchill will do to him, open him up and try and use his technology. Um, and that was the whole point. I think the Doctor just didn't want him to be accessed by anyone who could use him. So he sent Bracewell off and into the countryside, basically. Um which actually means we could see that character again at some point. You could. Yeah. I you actually could. like that character. I, I really yeah. enjoyed the actor, too, you know. Yeah. Um, he's a very, very likable, very sympathetic type character, especially for an android. Right, right. You know, the android technology has gotten a whole lot better since the classic series, I'll tell you that. Um. <laughs> the, the thing is, whose memories did they actually use to implant into his head? There was probably someone called Dr. Edwin Bracewell, Professor Edwin Bracewell, who they basically killed and took his body print and memories and everything. Wouldn't yeah. be the first time they did something like that. Nope. Dr. and Amy head back to the closet where the TARDIS is, get ready to leave. Amy's like, so you got enemies. And Doctor's everybody has enemies. And he goes, yeah, but mine's the mean old lady by the store, basically. <laughs> you got, you know, arch enemy. <laughs> he's he, he's basically like, yeah, you're kind of right, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, traveling with me is dangerous. Is that a problem? No. <laughs> you know what is a problem? The fact that you didn't remember the Daleks. Yeah. But. We'll have to deal with that later. And they go back in the TARDIS, dematerialize, and there's that freaking crack on the wall. <laughs> right behind it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just when you think you've gotten rid of it. Yeah. And we won't be talking about that crack anytime in the near future. So, yeah. Um, I was going to be asking this question <laughs> after all of our inc Doctor incarnations, and I stopped asking it. Uh, how did you like the way the 11th Doctor approached the Dalek I, compared to like the rest of them? I actually thought that it was somewhat refreshing to see the, the difference uh, because he does interact with them differently than especially the last two that we've seen. You know, mm -hmm. I know that part of it's got to do with his just particular style of you know, waving his arms around and things like that. Sort of sort of like Patrick Troughton, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. but also completely different, you know. Uh which I'll bring something else up here about that in a minute. Um but uh, yeah, I just felt like that honestly, I enjoyed his interaction with the Daleks more than I did his interaction with just about anybody else in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because well, he also interacted more with the Daleks know, than anybody else in this episode too. Yeah, uh, but it, he just came off as a lot more confident and everything when he was dealing with them, you know, than he did even when he was just talking to the regular people. You know, it's also interesting because you know, 
while there's a lot of that interaction with the Daleks that, you know, is definitely very much a Matt Smith Mm -hmm. mannerism, he also, in that scene where he starts beating the Dalek, is drawing on all of that pent-up rage that the Doctor has towards the Daleks that has built up since, you know, the second storyline line of the se- of the the entire series. So, well, when when he actually on that part, I think for me at least, when he was hitting the Dalek, you know, and you hear the clanging and everything, that almost reminded me a little bit of the seventh Doctor, you know, mm. uh, just because of you know it being something that it felt like to me that the seventh Doctor would have done, you know. Yeah. Of course, you know. I, I may be associating that with the fact that the seventh doctor was with Ace and Ace beat the Dalek <laughs> with the baseball bat, but it just, in my mind, it came off as something that I, I might have seen the seventh doctor do. All right. Now, I, um, I do have a question. Okay. Now, I, we already talked about there being parallels uh, with Patrick Troughton and, and, mm-hmm. and Matt Smith talking about how. Patrick Troughton's Doctor influenced him in how he wanted to play the Doctor. But now something that I personally picked up on with this, and I don't know if you did or not, um, is not from an acting standpoint, not from a portrayal of the Doctor or anything like that, but just by like some of the expressions in the eyes, some of the, the way that he, you know, the facial expressions and 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 I know maybe some of the body language a little bit. Did you see any John Pertwee in there at all, in your opinion? It's interesting you ask me about this because um, I'm nearing the end of my of Pertwee's run in mm-hmm. my watch through. In fact, a couple nights ago, I, I just rewatched Planet of the Daleks, which is still one of my favorite. <laughs> per- it was still my favorite uh, John Pertwee uh, Dalek episode with the purple. Furry people. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and anyways, I won't get into that one again. Go back uh, but, listen to our episode. <laughs> yes. But I think, and, and you mentioned this to me before I rewatched this episode last mm-hmm. night for, for the episode, uh, for our discussion here. Um, and so I sort of tried to, to find what you're looking at. And I think what it is, is John Pertwee and Matt Smith are built very similarly right they're both tall and lanky and have a similar facial structure and i think that's more of it than anything i I don't think there's anything uh that you know matt smith is directly channeling as channeling or using as influence i think it's just they're built very similarly um i pertwee doesn't have quite the pronounced chin as uh matt smith and matt smith doesn't have quite the pronounced nose as john pertwee um, I think part of it, you too, could... though, is that Matt Smith started out with the longer hair mm-hmm. uh, in his first series. And, you know, it, Pertwee, even though his was shorter at the beginning of his run, was very similar, I think, in the length that Matt Smith was at the beginning of his run. You know? Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, you could almost, if you were having an episode of something where you needed, you know, John Pertwee as, as the older version of a particular character, you could have cast a Matt Smith or someone similar to Matt Smith mm-hmm. to play the younger version of that same character. Right. And so I think I think that's more 
of what's going on than anything else. I think it's just the fact they look similar. Mm-hmm. Which is, the ironic thing is many of the doctors share very similar facial and build <laughs> structures. So when you like put them all overlapping, yeah. it's a very there's a very <laughs> distinct look. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen those those images online uh, before, but you know it. it I think it's more that than anything else. Well, also, the, on uh, is, there's the bow tie. You know, they both have the bow tie. And mm, Pertwee doesn't really have a bow tie, no. He's got an ascot. Well, in some of the episodes, he has a bow tie. Not many, but some. Very rarely. But uh, I, I think... Patrick Troughton has a bow tie more than John Pertwee. I, I, I think you're probably right, though, but it, it was something about just... The visual aspect of him, it was almost for me like they, like almost it felt almost like a young John Pertwee playing a young Patrick Troughton, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Um, kind of, and 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 I almost wonder if that's the reason why uh, Stephen Moffat ended up casting him for that role is because he saw some of that in him as well, you know, and. Uh, because originally he talked about that he he was going to to cast a different actor, um, mm-hmm. I believe he even said an actor of color, but he changed his mind when Matt Smith walked in and he saw his portrayal of the character. He was like, he's just too perfect for the role for me not to cast him in a, in that role, you right? Know? And I I wonder if you know that is one of those kind of lightning in a bottle things that you just can't always put your finger on exactly what it is that reminds you of something else, but you know, it's there, you know? Yeah. You know, <laughs> for, for as much of a, you know, I guess slight departure that Matt Smith was, um, as the doctor, he definitely fits with everybody else that's come before him. Right. You know, you, you don't doubt the fact that he is, just the next regeneration of the Doctor. Right. Um, Especially following up after uh, David, Tennant. David Tennant, you know. Yeah. Uh, it just, it feels like they just kind of flow together almost. In, and not because they're so similar, but just because they're just kind of, you know, like, like I said before, like just a, a different part of the personality of the same person. You know, um, I think it's time for our rating uh, <laughs> before we wrap this up. Uh, how many Daleks would you give Victory of the Daleks? Well, this is not one of my all-time favorites, but I do enjoy it. Um, I feel like that compared to a lot of our more recent storylines, this is a bit more simplistic. I would say this is simplistic in the way that Dalek is simplistic with the Ninth Doctor. Um, in that uh, it's it's not it, it's not devoid of story. It's just not all over the place. Fourteen different storylines running at once, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and compared to our last episode, it's a staunch difference, you know. Right. Um, which I think is the reason why uh, it felt so simplistic is because of our last episode, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And and it's like I said before, um, when we were talking about this before the show started, I was watching it and I I had almost forgotten everything there was in it. I I knew 
what it was about, and I had seen it a couple of times, but, you know, you go long enough without watching something and you start forgetting pieces of it, you know? Right. And so I watched it and I was like, that was all of it? (laughs) (laughs) I I think the reason I felt that way is because especially with our last couple of episodes that we've talked about, they were multiple episode stories, you know, and Mm -hmm. you kind of get in that groove of, okay, now I'm going into part two, and with this, it was like... There was no part two. That's all of it. One, you know, one encapsulated story in one episode, and so it it was almost a... It was almost a jolt... To, mm-hmm. to have it be like that. But but for me, I had, like I said, I, I really liked the new incarnations of the Daleks. I'm one of maybe 12 people on the planet Earth that <laughs> felt that way maybe. But <laughs> I, I really liked them. I thought they were cool. What I had less of a good feeling about was, I think, the visual depiction of... The android, when he opened up and you could see his innards, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it almost felt like something that I would see in classic Wizard of Oz or something as opposed to Doctor Who. If, okay. if that makes sense. Because of the way he was constructed under the skin and whatnot, you know, and so, to me, that felt like a slight departure, and and that's more that's more of a a uh, production uh, thing than it is a story thing, you know. Um, so I'm not going to blame the story for that, but I think that kind of took me out of it a little bit just because of the the way it looked. Uh, and then it was the 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 I, I didn't have as much of an issue with it this time as I did the the very first time I watched it. The very first time I watched it. My mindset was, okay, so you're telling me that the answer to everything here is love, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of how it felt. And but then when I went back and watched it this time, I enjoyed it more going back and watching it this time, and it didn't really bother me that much, you know. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, it was kind of like, okay, that seems kind of tropey, you know. And I get that anytime you're telling a story, you're going to reuse stuff that's come before. But the first time in my head, it almost felt a little cliche. You're just going to be saved by love, you know. And so because of that, I'm going to give it it a seven and a half. Because I, Um, I enjoyed the story and everything. I just had a little bit of an issue with the bomb part of it, you know. I think after three incredibly complicated, convoluted Dalek <laughs> stories that we've gotten leading up into this. Something a little more simple was actually a breath of fresh air. And uh, going into this, this is not an episode that, you know, is sticks out to me as like a favorite or anything. I know I've seen it a couple times. I don't dislike it. Uh, but it was just one that was like, oh, it's one of the Dalek episodes. And I think, you know, it. I almost you almost forget victory of the Daleks in a sense because it doesn't have a companion leaving us or you know something as bizarre as the Dalek human hybrid (laughs) Uh, 
you know, things like that. You're you're not leading up to this big emotional climactic, you know, doom and gloom sort of thing or, in this or episode. Or a pre-show crossover. <laughs> right, you know. You, you know, you're not doing something on a monumental scale like that with this one. And so I think this one gets a little lost in the shuffle. That being said, revisiting it this time around, I actually really enjoy this episode. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's nice to get just a Dalek story, yeah. you know, so to speak. And because of that, and because I really like the characterization of Winston Churchill, I really like the characterization of Bracewell, uh, getting to know... You know, reintroducing yourself to this new doctor, seeing how this newly minted doctor reacts to the Daleks for the first time. Uh, the only thing I would say is Amy sort of gets the short end of the stick in this episode, yeah. except for a few highlighted moments. Yeah, I was going to bring uh, that up. This is sort of amy light. It is, you know? it is. Um, which, depending on your feeling of Amy, is either a good or a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but... I, it was one of those things where she just sort of stood there more often than not and, you know, commented on things. And I felt like that was a little bit of a disservice to her as a companion at times. But then again, she was the one that figured out how to shut off the bomb. Right. Which I actually like that whole idea because it's that essence of what is the, you know, is what really makes you human is the, the love aspect of it. That's more human than the pain aspect Right. Of being a human, and when you contrast those two things, I really like the way that that resolved itself. Well, it's it's um, not that it's not that the emotional aspect of it was bad for me. It was just that it felt almost a little cliche. It was almost like, well, for example, and I don't know if you've seen it or not, but like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Spoiler for anybody who's not seen this, you know, 30-year-old movie or whatever, but the resolution for the entire story is that his girlfriend loves him, and it, that's what saves him is the fact that she loves him. You know, and that kind of comes off sometimes in certain areas as being a little cliche. You see what I'm saying? I can see that. Um, I, I just think it works in this regard, for me anyway. So, and... And so rewatching this, I, I think I have now a higher estimation of this episode than mm -hmm. I used to. Right. Um, and so for that, I'm going to go ahead and give this. Uh, oh God, it's a good solid episode. So I'll it give is. It, uh, it is. I'll give it. Um, I'll give it an eight. What the heck? <laughs> I'll give it an eight. Well, I mean, it's all it's all about you know, taste anyway, right? I mean, I just think that the fact that we're getting good stories and not the feast of Steven is just, you know, <laughs> I, I think that that's just <laughs> wonderful in itself. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh, you had to bring up the feast of Steven. <laughs> and if you guys want to know what the heck we're talking about, when we talk about the feast of Steven and possibly the worst ever episode of doctor who in existence, um, you need to listen to our discussion on the Daleks master plan. Now there are two episodes talking about that because it's in a supremely long story arc, um, yeah. dealing with the first doctor and part two of that is where we talk about the feast of Steven. 
um, which is the worst episode of Doctor Who I have ever watched. And it also has some of the best moments in that storyline in part two as well. So, anyways. All right. So, uh, next episode, uh, we are going to be talking about... Uh, we are actually not talking about the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang. Um, that, while the Daleks are in that, they're not the main villain. Uh, and the Daleks just sort of show up with all of the other villains that the Doctor has acquired over the years. So they're not the primary antagonist. We're going to go ahead and skip that. Um, probably talk about that some other time. So we're going to go ahead and skip down to uh, Asylum of the Daleks um, <laughs> as our next episode in our Dalek story reviews, uh, which, of course, continues on with uh, the 11th Doctor and Amy, also brings in Rory for good measure. Along with... with uh, uh, we won't talk about that. We'll save right. that for next episode. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But since we are, you know, skipping... Pandorica opens in the Big Bang, and we're winding our way down with our Dalek storyline episodes. We need you guys to start thinking about what you want us to talk about next. Uh, we're going to help have you guys help us decide whether or not we go and talk about the Master or the Cybermen next. Uh, I know which I would like, and if it was up to me, we'd be talking about Cybermen next. Well, that's kind uh, but, of funny because if it was up to me, we'd be talking about the master next. So, which is why we need you guys to help us figure out what we're doing next. Um, we don't always agree on everything. No, 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 no. Like, is the doctor actually half human or not? No. Yes. Um, no. Not gonna happen. No. Yes. Um, yes. 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 No. 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 Uh, so, we we are going to end up setting up a poll uh, for you guys to help weigh in on this. Uh, we're not going to do that yet, but we want you to start thinking about this. You know, we want you guys to to help uh, get involved with this and help us figure out where we go from here. So next episode, we'll be talking about Asylum of the Daleks, and we will set up our poll for around that. Anything else, Paul? Before we start wrapping up this episode. I think I'm good, actually. All right. If you guys want to weigh in on this episode or uh, talk about anything else involving Daleks, the Doctor, the show, um, something completely else that we haven't actually talked about at all, uh, you can go ahead and do that uh, through our social media, facebook.com slash talkingtimelords. You can always tweet us at, at talkingtimelord, because uh, Twitter wouldn't let me put in one more character for Talking Time Lord, so it's just Talking Time Lord. Or you can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Uh, links to all of our social media as well as all of our previously released episodes can be found on our website, which is our TARDIS on the internet, and that is TalkingTimeLords.com. Of course, please remember to leave us a kind rating and review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you find our episodes. Uh, but we really would appreciate some iTunes reviews, folks. Give uh, us some iTunes love! Please and thank you. <laughs> Anything else, Paul? Uh, when we say contact us, we're also talking about you can contact us with uh, episode ideas. You know, if you have something you'd like to hear us talk about, uh, throw that out there, let us know, and you never know, you might actually hear that episode come up in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, you know, 
we're sticking with this, you know, story reviews right now because that's something that we kind of just can do, you know. It, it's we're not married to it, and we can take breaks from it. So, yeah, we we want to hear your thoughts. What do you guys want to hear? You know, and um, we've got no problem with taking breaks in between the uh, different villains and stuff as well. You know, we, we if you guys have something you want to hear us talk about, we could come up with a couple of episodes in between the Daleks and the next villain that we talk about. And, of course, folks, when uh, Series 10 starts, we will be reviewing those as they come out. So, you know, don't, don't worry. We'll go back <laughs> and we'll do that again. This year it's going to be a lot fewer double episodes, too. So Yes. I think that will wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 47, Victory of the Daleks Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack help support the shows. Yes, thank you. And please, bring me some jammy dodgers with that as well. Exterminate! No!